Welcome back to the Lagos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I unlock the mysteries of the beatific vision of God for you, the spiritual pilgrim treading upon the narrow path. This is going to be the fourth episode in a little mini-series that revolve entirely around the concept of the secret, law of attraction, creative thought, and I had forgotten one of the other terms for it. I just came across it again, manifestation. I said I'd probably do four to five of them. This is now the fourth, and uh, yeah, this might be the last one. Maybe I'll still have enough for a fifth one or so. So as you read in the title for this, are there warnings in the Lord of the Rings against manifestation, the secret, and the law of attraction? I mean, when was that book written? What does that have to do with this subject, this occult, secretive, esoteric, Masonic, and yet also still possibly biblical through the Kabbalistic teachings? How does the Lord of the Rings pertain to this? Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue about how, I guess, Catholic, J.R. Tolkien was. I actually don't know. I know he was. I don't know how deeply that transferred or how much of that exists. Obviously, the story of good and evil in The Lord of the Rings has been interpreted as a very loose Christian story. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the works of C.S. Lewis, have been more attributed to Christianity and Christian teaching. But J.R.R. Tolkien was also Catholic, and obviously his religion must have influenced his writing. I don't know to what degree. I'm also not saying that he purposefully wrote this in his book. Obviously, the way the mind works, we tend to look for things in that which we experience as a reflection of of that which dwells inside of our own mind. So the mystery of the microcosm and the macrocosm, that which is within is seen without, and that which is seen without is seen within. And the depth that one is capable of seeing and achieving or experiencing this, of course, is what the practice of meditation, understanding the mysteries, Basically, everything that I'm talking about on my podcast is all about. Again, I'm not trying to say that this is something that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote in The Lord of the Rings. This is just what I saw and interpreted in it recently because I recently read The Hobbit to my daughters and we watched the movies and I started reading The Lord of the Rings to my older one. We're talking about manifestation, the secret law of attraction, those type of formerly occult secret teachings. But given the internet and access to the world's information, it makes these types of teachings readily available to anybody within interest. The same as this podcast for you that are listening to this. Current technology allows anybody to essentially have access to any information that they are interested in 
in some way, shape, or form. So let me try and paint the image of this. Because in thinking about why the hobbits, for instance, are able to withstand the power and the overpowering influence of the ring, and pretty much all else are incapable of it. I mean, obviously, maybe it's been a long time. So at this point, Galadriel is able to overcome the temptation of the ring. And Aragorn is able to avoid the temptation of it. Obviously, that's the fellowship of the ring that Boromir falls to it. Gandalf doesn't take it as well, even though Frodo is trying to give it to him. But the hobbits represent the complete antithesis to Sauron. Now, you have to have read The Hobbit and at least meditated on what Thorin Oakenshield tells Bilbo at the end. It's one of the best lines in the book of, if only more people cared about home the way that you do, there would be no need for these wars, right? Or something like that. I can't remember the exact verbiage, but it's something on that order that Bilbo reflects to Thorin. And if we're talking about, are there warnings to manifestation, the secrets and the law of attraction in the Lord of the Rings, then who represents that? Obviously, Sauron does. So now listen to the verbiage in this, and hopefully you will be able to unpack in your own mind from the previous three episodes about the danger of manifestation, the secret and the law of attraction type of imaginative thought processes to create in existence. Sauron desires the one ring. Sauron has poured all of himself into the one ring. Sauron has all of his thought and mind searching for the ring. Sauron needs the ring to re-manifest. Sauron only wants the ring. That is his greatest desire, and that is what his entire focus is on. Now, obviously, once you get to the further stories, it's he wants to rule Middle-earth and blah, blah, blah. But the main thrust of his character is the ring. Now, if you've read The Cimmerillion, you'll know that Sauron is actually kind of like lieutenant. There's the real devil-like creature, devil-like being the parallel to the devil that Tolkien created in the Middle-earth world, an idea, I believe his name was Morgoth. He's the one that the Balrogs serve. So he's even greater than the Balrogs, right? And so he's the one that corrupts Sauron because they were all elves. Again, it's the same idea as Angel Demon. They were all elves and he was corrupted. He wanted to be like the god figure in the Lord of the Rings world. And so he attempts to create as well. So again, 
this is the weird thing about Gnostic stuff. I don't think, I'd have to double check, because the Nag Hammadi library was found in like the 40s, but it wasn't translated for several more years after that. I can't remember the exact time frame when a copy of it was now available. Now, obviously, Tolkien, because he was a linguist, he probably, if it was available in a time when he was still alive, he would have been one of those early persons to have been able to read it in whatever translation it was in. So I think the guy knew like 11 languages or something like that. And he obviously invented Orcish, Elvish, and you know all these other languages in his book. But the parallel in the Gnostic story behind Sophia where she wanted to create or she wanted to do something on that order and she's responsible for the creation of this fallen world because she created without her pair, basically, is what it kind of says, her other half. And there's a lot of esoteric meanings to that as well of what is that other half. So if Tolkien did not read the Gnostic texts that were found at Nag Hammadi, because there were a few Gnostic texts prior to that that could be termed Gnostic, especially the Pistis Sophia. Pretty sure that one was like the late 1800s or so. I can't remember if there was a translation to that when Tolkien was writing The Lord of the Rings or not. But I'm just saying, if he didn't read those texts and had zero knowledge of these various myths, then the manner in which he wrote his character, his characters, is just eerie in how similar it is, is what I'm trying to get at, that these same themes, the more you look into these ancient texts and then just travel through time, you just continue to come across the same underlying theme, much like how I've shown the same symbol for what is seen in the beatific vision, mystical, religious experience. The same themes occur. So in this, it's a being that was created by the creator that desires to be equal to the creator and corrupts with his own creation or something of that order. I'm trying to remember the opening in the song of Iluvatar when Morgoroth corrupts everything. I can't remember exactly what he does. Um, it's something like, I think he puts some like bad notes into the music or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it's been a while since I read that. So I'm really drawing from some deep memory on the Cimmerillion right now. Anyways, Sauron and his desire for the ring represents what we are talking about with manifestation, the secret, and the law of attraction. Because his mind is on it to bring it to the surface so that he and or his agents find it. He is trying to bring it into reality through thought alone. And any that come across it can become corrupted by it. So the Nazgul, right, all the men that came across it instantly were corrupted by it, it seems. The dwarfs, you never really hear what happened to them, but I think, what was it, uh, Thorin's dad or grandfather, one of them that had the ring, went crazy from it. So it corrupts. Now, how does that translate to what we're talking about here? Putting all your mind like that to manifest something into reality 
means that you are attempting to equate yourself to the creator himself. That by your thought and imagination and focus, it will come to pass. This is control. This is an attempt at controlling God is what it is. Where the traditional biblical teaching is surrender to the will of God. Surrendering to the power of God. God will do these things automatically is more how it's presented. All you have to do is love and trust and have faith. Much different versus forcibly trying to be the mage that creatively thinks things into existence. Your choice and decision on whether that is lawful or not. I'll leave you with that. I didn't think I was going to go this long on this one. So the next one, I will explore the ancient myths that warn about this as well. And possibly even Star Wars. Although Star Wars should be pretty easy for any modern person. So I'll leave you with this. Until next time.